Hello, it's Mark from Third Shot Sports, and this is Pickleball Problems. Pickleball Problems is the podcast where we talk all things pickleball, whether you want to discuss technique or tactics, equipment or etiquette. I'm your host, Mark Renison, and I'm going to be taking some of your questions today. Let's get down to business. Hi, Mark. This is Bill from Wilmington, North Carolina. I'm wondering how to hit my drives and serves with more power. Are there specific exercises I can do to strengthen the muscles involved, or do you have any other tips? Thanks. Oh, and when are you coming to the southeast to run a clinic? All right, you want a more powerful drive, and that's a good thing, because the whole point of a drive is to take away your opponent's time to react. And the faster you can hit that ball, all things being equal, the less time your opponents will have to react. So how do you create power? Well, one option which you suggested has to do with how strong you are. And you can do a whole bunch of things. I'll link to some in the bottom of the show notes here uh, where you can work on sort of the rotation, how quickly you can rotate your body through the ball, through that shot. And that can involve developing more core strength, uh, even strengthen your shoulder and your arm. But my experience tells me that it's probably not a muscle thing. Most of the people that I see who struggle to generate speed on their drives do so not because they're not strong enough, but because they don't use technique that allows them to generate speed easily. So what's important if you want to get speed from a technical standpoint? First, it's important that you use the strong parts of your body to do most of the work. So you want your hips and your core and your shoulder to be turning, to be engaged when you're hitting this shot. If you're just using your arm, which is a relatively weak part of your body, it's going to be hard to generate a lot of speed. So it's important that you're preparing your body sideways to the net. So imagine that your chest is facing uh, the fence, the side fence or the wall as you're preparing. Your opponent should be able to see the back of your shoulders. And that sideways setup position, just like a baseball player getting ready to swing a bat, puts you in a position where you can turn through the shot. You can rotate through the shot. So that's going to be one part of the technique that's important to generate speed. But there's another thing that's important if you want to be able to hit hard. Tight muscles don't move very quickly. And sometimes when people try to hit hard, especially when they get excited, they develop a lot of tension in their body, in their arm, in their shoulder. And tight muscles don't move quickly. It's kind of like, you know those elastic bands that you sometimes see on broccoli? Those really thick purple elastic bands? If you ever try to shoot one of those, it doesn't go very far because it's so tight. Unlike those normal brown elastic bands, they really are flexible and loose, and those ones can really fly. You want your muscles to be like that. So you need to be quite relaxed, quite supple, as you're getting ready to hit this ball, because those looser muscles will act in a more elastic fashion, and you'll be able to get more whip through the shot. There's one more technical aspect that um, I'll make a note of. I can't exactly identify it. I haven't seen you hit these drives. By the way, this is a good time for me to plug the video analysis that we do over at Third Shot Sports. You can check that out at thirdshotsports.com. But in lieu of seeing how you hit your drives, one thing that um, really differentiates players who have great drives and those who don't has to do with laying back the wrist, especially on the forehand, when hitting that drive. You may have whipped a towel at someone before, you know, when you roll it up. And if you're doing it with a forearm, almost like you're hitting a serve, it's important that you would lay back your wrist. Because when you lay back your wrist, you put it in a position to then whip forward. 
and that whipping forward action is a way to generate speed. So smaller joints, like your wrist for example, they're not really good at doing heavy lifting, but they are good at moving quickly. And so that's why laying back the wrist, especially on the forehand side, is an important way to use your body if you want to really generate speed. Hi Mark, I had a question. In rec play, me and my partner were playing doubles and the opponent served and my partner had hit the return and it was definitely going up. But the opponent stepped out of the court and caught the ball before it had bounced. But my partner said, no point, it's second server. And my opponent claimed that he was just trying to speed up the game. And they got into a pretty big argument. So I was wondering, who was right in that argument? You described the situation really well, and this is a common occurrence in pickleball, especially recreation pickleball. We should make a distinction between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. If we're talking about the letter of the law and the rules, then your partner is absolutely right. The opponents never let the ball land out of bounds, so we don't, in fact, know that it would have gone out of bounds. We can guess it would, we can be quite sure, but who knows, there's a sudden gust of wind or something that maybe, possibly, would have had that ball drop back in the court. But we'll never know, will we? Because the opponents caught the ball before it landed. So technically, according to the letter of the law, your partner's right. That should be the second server. Your partner and you win that rally. But there's also the spirit of the law. And in this situation, it sounds like it was pretty clear that that ball was going out of bounds. And your opponent was just catching the ball to sort of speed things up, to keep the game going. And in fact, I would argue that you and your partner could actually thank them for doing that. Because had your opponents let that ball bounce, it probably would have gone back to the fence or the wall. They'd have to go pick it up. And that takes a lot of time between points. And that's time that you could have spent playing, which is way more fun. So your partner should realize the difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Yes, the letter of the law, if this was a refereed tournament match, then there was a lot of money on the line. Your partner might be able to say, hey, that's our point. But this is not. This is rec play. So you know what? Your partner should take a chill pill, realize his ball was going out, start the next point. You don't have to be that close to it. I hear that you are a big sister now. Is that true? Yeah. What kinds of things do you think that you have to teach your brother how to do? Um, swim and jump off the side because I can jump off the side now. He has to learn how to run and skip. How to do cartwheels. He has to learn how to cook food make his bed. Hey, do you think you can teach him how to play pickleball? I can. I'm really good at teaching pickleball. Not everyone can be a naturally amazing pickleball coach. That's why we created Pickleball Coaching International, the world's best online resource for pickleball instructors and coaches. And if you use the promo code PROBLEMS at the checkout, you'll save $10. So head over to pickleballcoachinginternational.com. Pickleball Coaching International. We make good pickleball coaches even better. See you later, alligator. From Facebook, we had a question come in from Pat, who writes, I teach a lot of beginner classes. What is a good way to explain to them when they might not wish to follow their return of serve to the non-volley zone? Well, Pat's a good question. 
As you and probably most of our listeners know, it's standard operating procedure that when you return serve, you come rushing to the net. And that's because if you're up at the net, you're a threat to your opponents. If they hit that ball a little bit too high over the net, you're there to pounce on it. And if they hit a fastball, maybe you can just play a little drop volley back into the kitchen. So you're scary when you're up at the net, typically, and the further back away you are from the net, the less scary you become. But are there times that you don't want to go up to the net if you're returning serve to put that pressure on? Well, I'd say, yeah, there's one in particular. If my return of serve is so poor that it's likely to be slammed at us in such a way that I can't handle it if I'm up near the net, then it's probably not very smart for me to go forward. So... What kind of return would I have to hit for it to be slammed at me that I couldn't handle it? Well, if I sent a really short, high return, that's probably a ball that's going to get hit hard. And if they're hitting hard at me, I'm not going to have much time to react. And the closer to the net I get, the less time I'll have. So I would say to your players, hey, if you hit a really short, high return, don't come running up to the net. Stay back. Now, How short and how high is short enough and high enough to warrant you staying back? That's a different question, and that depends a little bit on the skill of the players who are volleying, as well as those who are hitting the drive. But this is one of the reasons why it's so important. It's such an important skill that players develop early on in their pickleball careers, that they learn how to return serve deep. And whether that's returning deep through hitting a higher ball that gives them more time to get to the net, or a lower faster ball that gives them less time, but also gives their opponents less time. It's so vital that you can return deep enough that you can still confidently come up to the net and have a good chance to apply pressure. So if your players are regularly staying back after the return of serve because their returns are so short and high, it's time to work with them on hitting those returns deeper so that they don't have to stay back. Because really, by the time they're at the 2.5 level, they should be returning serve and coming up to the net every single time. On the Third Shot Sports Facebook page, Ryan asks, Would you be interested in discussing your personal thoughts on rally scoring? If you've tried it, if you think it's going to be a must for TV viewers to engage. Well, Ryan, it can be a very contentious subject. And for those who don't know, rally scoring is just regular pickleball, except anyone can win a point, whether you're serving or receiving serve. Rally scoring is used most commonly in places where they have limited time or limited court space. Because as you know, with regular scoring, you could play for 20 minutes and have played 30 points and the score could still be 0-0. And so if you're a tournament director, this drives you crazy because your matches are going on forever. If you're playing at a community center or somewhere where you have to share courts with other people and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. So rally scoring, where anyone can get a point, servers or returners, is a way to make sure that after every single rally, someone scores. So you're getting closer to the end. Now, typically when people play rally scoring, instead of playing to the usual 11 points, they often extend it and play to 15. And so that means at most, the game's going to be 29 points long, 15-14, or 30 points if you wanted to win by two. So there's some real benefits to that. And I could see if I was running a community center, if I was a rec director at a YMCA, if I was a tournament director who just wanted to make sure that we were off the court at the right time, I would 100% go for rally scoring because that makes your life a lot easier. So what are the drawbacks? I'd say the biggest one is a psychological one. There's a certain psychological element that happens when you can win points but not actually score any points. When you can break your opponent's serve again and again and again but can't put any points on the board yourself. And it's interesting to me, it's an interesting part of the game 
to see that psychological aspect play out. Are teams able to score points when they finally get the ball or not? And if you're playing with rally scoring, then people are always getting points all the time. So it changes that dynamic a little bit. I gotta say, I know there's some traditionalists out there that are really fussy about this, and they'll probably hate that I say it. But you know what? I don't mind rally scoring. And I do think, as to your question, which was specifically about, does this make pickleball more watchable? I think it kind of does. I know that when I'm introducing pickleball to new people, they have a lot on their plate. They've got a lot to worry about. And I always introduce rally scoring as one of the ways. I always, in fact, introduce rally scoring first, because it's easy for them to understand. The other guys hit the ball in the net, great, I get a point. I hit the ball out, oh, they get a point. And that's easy to understand, and they have a lot that they're already thinking about. Down the road, after they now feel comfortable on the court, is when I typically will introduce the idea of traditional scoring. Hey guys, you know what? Pickleball scoring, we talked about rally scoring, and that's one of the ways you'll see it sometimes, but you'll also see what we call regular scoring. And that's just like what we did here, except you only actually earn a point when you're the serving team. And I find with new players, that's generally an easier way to understand it. They get the rally scoring quickly, and then you introduce the regular scoring. So what does that have to do with pickleball on TV? Well, as you probably know, and I know this, when I was asked to do the commentary for CBS Sports at the 2018 US Open, the tournament directors took me aside and they said, look, Mark, most of our audience are going to be relatively new to pickleball. They're not going to understand all the nuances. So just make sure when you're talking about what's going on, you're talking about it to that kind of an audience. And so I think just like the beginning players will have an easier time understanding when I'm teaching them initially using rally scoring, I think that that's also true for most of the viewers who are going to be watching Pickleball on TV, at least when they get that initial exposure. They're going to understand, oh, hey, the blue team just hit the ball out. I guess the red team gets a point. Oh, hey, the red team just hit the ball into the net. I guess the blue team gets a point. And so I do think it makes it a little more watchable. Here's another example. Some, lately, I've been seeing a lot of darts on TV. And I don't really understand the scoring, you know, I, I sort of get it. You start at a certain number, 500 and something, I think, and you try to work your way down. But um, I have to work hard to be able to follow the scoring. And I think for a sport that's trying to emerge and get itself more into the mainstream than it already is, I think you want to have as few barriers as possible to helping new people understand what it is you're doing. So I love regular scoring. That's fine. But I'm not against rally scoring. I think in a lot of cases it makes sense. In the beginning, we gave you unlimited power and asked just one thing in return. Just one thing. Just keep it in. What were we thinking? Mistakes were made. Lives were lost. But this time, just relax. We've got you covered. Selkirk. Power. Control. No compromise. I saw a recent video with Kyle Yates where the ball just barely dribbled over the net. He was able to get his paddle under it and pop it up again. And as it got above the net, he blew on it as well. The ball was probably going to go over the net anyway, but is that even legal? Yes, I remember the situation from a little while ago. So just so that our listeners understand it, Kyle Yates uh, receives a ball very, very tight to the net, very close, a low dink. He hits the ball pretty much straight up because that's all he could do from being so close to the net. 
And uh, as it was in the air, he leans forward, looks like he's almost going to kiss the ball, doesn't actually touch it with his mouth, but instead gives a little blow. And uh, there was a lot of debate about what's going to happen. What is this interference? Um, so as I do with most things, when I'm not sure exactly how the ruling is going to go, I uh, get in touch with my friend referee Don Stanley. And Don Stanley, uh, I find, always gives really great advice and uh, useful interpretations of different rules. Don tells me that the majority of the referees are in agreement that in a situation like that, that would not be considered interfering with the ball while it's in play, because there's no way to ascertain for certain that the blowing actually had any effect on the ball or not. There's no way to sort of empirically measure uh, that there was any blowing. It's not, he didn't touch the ball, um, so there's no way to really know. And uh, Don says, referees will really only make a call like that if they are 100% sure that there was some sort of impact. So there you have it, according to Don Stanley, referee extraordinaire, is a situation like that would not be called any sort of fault. And we'll leave it there. Thanks to all of our listeners this week, and thanks as well to those of you who sent in your questions. If you'd like me to answer one of your pickleball problems, just open up your phone, create a voice memo, and email it to mark at thirdshotsports.com. Of course, you can also write to us on the Facebook page of Third Shot Sports. And be sure to check out some of our latest projects, including thepickleballlab.com, as well as pickleballcoachinginternational.com. All right, see you next time.